The latest instalment of Coming Up Next, the podcast, is going to be with you in just a moment, my friends. But before we get there, are you subscribed to Coming Up Next? It's really straightforward to do, and it's going to streamline your podcast listening experience. All you have to do is head to comingupnext.com.au, select the platform that you listen to podcasts on, and bam, like magic, it's going to download into your pocket, onto your device, each and every week. Welcome to the show, my friends. Welcome to another episode of Coming Up Next, the podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you for stopping by. And if it's not, welcome back. Uh, you know what we do here on the show. We have a philosophical ramble with, uh, with some of the world's top creatives on their life, on their career, and uh, on what makes them silly. And thank you to my guest last week. If you haven't heard the episode, it's available at comingupnext.com.au. I spoke with Liv Hewson from Netflix's Santa Clarita Diet. Uh, we had a quite remarkable chat um, that kind of uh, spanned a whole list of uh, the usual kind of philosophical ramblings and musings. Um, so comingupnext.com.au for that and for the entire back catalogue of podcast rambles. They're all there. They're just waiting to be consumed by you. And speaking of consumption, my guest this week Amanda Logan. It's a little bit of a deviation from uh, from our usual guests. Um, she, well, we met at a, at a drama school many years ago, and she's gone on to uh, kind of start uh, start up this grassroots blog um, called My Goodness Kitchen, uh, which started off as something that uh, she was doing. I mean, she's going to explain. We're, we're going to dig into that, so I don't know. I don't really need to kind of rehash, um, but. It started off as something, you know, quite small, and it's grown to be this uh, this enormous um, vegan blog. Uh, she's just released a, a cookbook last year as well, and so I re- I wanted to speak with Amanda about the process of of starting that, the persistence that it requires to to continue um, creating something essentially in a vacuum. And yeah, if you're interested in uh, in checking out her stuff, she's on. All the grams, all the uh, social medias uh, at My Goodness Kitchen. Um, you can find a cookbook. You can find everything available online. Um, and for now, you can find her speaking with me on Coming Up Next with Amanda Logan. study at uni? Um, I've got a communication degree. I've got a business degree, majoring in communication. Right, okay. And so when you were doing that, you wanted to, what was the kind of end goal there? Get a job. (laughs) (laughs) Get a grown-up job. Yeah, I I told my dad that I wanted to study something in the arts. So I was quite interested in drama in high school and I said, I told my father, I want to study the arts, I'm going to be an actor or something like that. And he said, don't be bloody ridiculous, study business. And I went, okie dokie. So, <laughs> <I went, laughs> so I went and got a business degree. Yeah. And now we're here like, I guess, many years later. Many, many years Having later. done that, having yeah. done an acting course. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. you run a successful vegan. Yes, it is not. It was not the plan. It wasn't the plan. 
Doing a business degree was great because I have owned a couple of my own businesses and it just helps to understand basic principles. Um, but it was never fulfilling. And then I did study drama and again, I loved it, but it just didn't sit. It's, I worked out at the end that I don't, it wasn't for me. What I worked out was that I wanted to be heard. I didn't necessarily want to be seen. Right. Which is, you know, it's kind of an occupational hazard if you try and hide <laughs> yeah. behind, the <laughs> behind the camera. I mean, you could do voiceovers. Yeah, this is true. I could probably do that. But... Was it difficult to, <clears throat> like, let go of that quote-unquote dream? Not really, because I think if things... Like, I'm, I'm not a fatalist, and I, I do think we are, to an extent, master of our own destinies. But I do think there is an element of if something is meant to be... It will be. I think we kind of work in conjunction with the forces. So it wasn't because what happened was for the longest time I didn't think I could have a child. And then I fell pregnant with Ellie. And it became a no-brainer no when I had her. It was I can drive down and do a Kmart audition or I can stay at home with my kid. Mm. And it just, you know... Kmart's great, but <laughs> um, and I just couldn't justify it. I couldn't justify because we live in the hills. It's you know almost an entire day, or at the very least, a half day to get down there for an audition, and it just. But you've got to jump through those hoops to be an actor. You have to go to the auditions that you don't necessarily want to, and I didn't want to. I wanted to spend time with her. I'm fortunate in that um, Pete's work allows me to stay at home. So um, that became a no-brainer. I do miss the creativity of it, but I think that you can just redirect, which I do with food. But what did happen was I am quite an active person, so staying at home and just taking care of a baby wasn't enough, and that's how the blog came about. Right. So has food been something that's always been significant in your life? Absolutely. Right. What always. Is, what, what do you think it is, or do you have early memories of? I have early memories of some pretty lousy food. Because <laughs> um, um, So I'm the youngest of six kids, so it always amazed me that my mum was able to feed all of us because um, my father travelled a lot. So it wasn't that food was particularly memorable because they were always just meals that six kids could eat. But the fact that she could do that and run us to all of our sports and netballs and all that was never kind of lost on me. Um, I spent most of my summers and holidays with my grandmother, who was a shocking cook. <laughs> <laughs> but she was an animal lover. So, yeah, I've got awesome memories of some pretty crappy food. Right. But I love, I've always, I've just always loved food and I find it really creative. And I particularly find vegan cooking really creative because you've got to think outside the box. Mm. There's something uh, very communal about food and absolutely. You know, every, like people generally will eat together. I mean, the whole concept of like breaking bread. Absolutely, and I think um, particularly if you are a natural nurturer, which I think I am, which I think plays into. I mean, I just rescue everything I find. I can't help it. <laughs> you know the amount of times that we've found ourselves with Pete pulled over on the side of the road because I've seen something that we have to go save. I think food plays into that 
that personality type as well. I mean, I like to cook for people. I like to sit and, you know, take care of people. I think that's just my nature. Yeah. So. Right. And so when did you decide that you were going to become vegan? <laughs> yeah, that's a tricky one. Um, <clears throat> so what happened was um, prior, so I'm very close to my animals. So prior to our dog, Ella, dying six years ago, I hadn't really had anyone close to me pass. And she was, so it was for the longest time, it was my husband, Pete, and our two dogs, Reuben and Ella, and then Ella passed away. And I, it just absolutely floored me because we traveled with them. They were our lives for, she was 12 when she passed. Um, so I really struggled with it. And what happened was in that process of grieving and kind of saying, you know, I hope her soul's okay and I hope, you know, that she's okay in the afterlife or whatever that is, I realised that for me to believe that she was going to have an afterlife or that she had a soul, that every animal that had ever crossed my plate had to have one. I couldn't have it both ways. I couldn't love my dog and want the best for whatever was in store for her, if you believe in that, and not every other animal. That's just selfish, silly, and kind of doesn't make sense. So that's how it started, but I was a pretty bad vegan to start with, so that was six years ago. Fleegan. I was so shit. <laughs> I just, I didn't know what I was doing. And it's not that veganism is particularly hard, but if you just go, right, I'm gonna do it, and not you know anything have... about nutrition in the first place, mm. you are, uh, bound to run into trouble. So my iron got so low that um, I had to, <laughs> I started having heart palpitations on a really regular basis. So I had to go and have scans and the whatnot. Um, and it turned out that my iron was so low that it was starting to affect my heart, which I didn't even know could happen. So it can lead to heart attack. Yeah, right. Which was something that was like, my I mean, mind just blew. Yeah, you hear like a lot of people who like their arguments against things like veganism or vegetarianism right. is sure. not getting all of the nutritional content, iron uh, or protein. Absolutely. Or um, and in fairness, I was lousy with iron prior. Right. <laughs> I, was, I was bad with it anyway. So, but knowing that, because I'd always been quite a little bit low, um, knowing that I should have done better in the first instance. So I was pretty lousy. So when I um, became pregnant, the only thing I could keep down, <laughs> much to my horror, was a junior burger. It was the only thing my mum would say, eat crackers, and I'd just end up in the garden, bringing them back up again. Um, eat apples, eat oats. <laughs> to this day, I can't go near them. Um, yeah, so that was pretty harrowing. And it was because I hadn't, taking care of myself properly. Um, so I've probably been a very good vegan for three and a half years and an average fair weather vegan prior <laughs> to that. something kind of ironic in the, like we've been speaking for 10 minutes and the kind of theme for, of that was that you want to take care of everything uh, kind of external to you but didn't take care of yourself in a kind of nutritional sense. Absolutely, but I also think, I don't think it's an uncommon theme and I particularly don't think it's uncommon with mothers. Mm. 
and actually to an, you know, I don't think it's uncommon with anyone. Absolutely, but I think, um, yeah, I think we do tend to do it. Um, I think it's natural for people to want to take care of those around them. Um, I myself find it, and I know that Pete, my husband, does as well. I mean, he works ridiculously long hours to make sure that we can stay in this house and that Ellie gets what she needs and that I get what I need and that I can be fulfilled by writing a blog and, mm. you know. Um, and sometimes that is at his peril or at his loss. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think it is a little bit natural. We tend to think of ourselves, you know, last. Unless you're a narcissistic ass. Like <laughs> Hello. Yeah, that is Walter, one of our... Walter wants to be on microphone. Yes, Walter always wants to be centre stage. We should probably send him off to drama school. <laughs> <laughs> so, the man has no personal space. Yeah. Okay, pop down, buddy. It's all right, we can have a cuddle later, Walter. <laughs> Walter, pop down, mate, please. Okay, good boy, thank you. Uh, so what, what was the kind of tipping point, I suppose, for you when you decided that you wanted to take what you'd learned about being vegan and combine your burning need to do something creative? I guess when I became a good vegan, I still wasn't awesome at it. So I did things like I was cooking my family's food and then having a peanut butter sandwich because that was, it was just easier. Um, and then I, the more I spoke to people, the more I realised that um, a lot of people, I have a gorgeous friend, Michelle, in the UK, and she says that she's V-curious. Um, and I, <laughs> I'm V-curious. Um, and I have a lot of V-curious people in my life that don't necessarily know how to do it or that they think it's really bland. Um, that eating a vegan diet is really bland. Okay, that's my daughter, so. Right. <laughs> Lots of characters in this yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, oh my gosh. Um, at the heart of it, I'm still a foodie. I don't eat anything if it tastes like shit. I don't care if it's vegan. So if it's not delicious, it's, it's not gonna hit the plate. And um, I've always been quite creative and inventive with food. That hasn't changed. I just have to be more so now. Um, I fell in love with photography, so that's been a huge creative outlet for me, particularly more food photography, um, because I worked out pretty early on if you wanted to have a blog that people were going to pay attention to, you had it had to be visual. Um, so the first 12 months of the blog was spent just learning how to use my camera. I'd not really picked one up. I mean, I you know, I was a happy snapper with my iPhone, but um, yeah learning how to shoot in manual and how to create images that were going to evoke some sort of hunger in the reader. Um, Telling a story. Absolutely. Um, I also made the choice to take um, all the advertising off the blog. I wanted it to be a luscious cookbook experience that just happened to be online. And that's been really fulfilling. So um, while I don't have you know, a lot of this stuff comes out pretty quickly because I do have a five-year-old and two mental dogs. Um, 
yeah, it's still hugely fulfilling. And to have people, and you get that feedback, you get people writing and saying, you know, I tried this, it was awesome, and I did this, and I tweaked it by doing that. And it's great, it's an exchange. And that's what I love about it. What are some of the biggest challenges that you think, or that you faced, or that people face in wanting to switch from a carnivorous diet to a vegan diet? Um, probably their families and their loved ones. It's, a, it's an odd, it's a very odd narrative or people feel judged when you tell them that you're vegan. You know, I mean, it's not like I walk around wearing a t-shirt. <laughs> um, you know, you go to someone's house and you know what, um, for the longest time, I would occasionally eat eggs to make other people feel more comfortable, which is just so fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> because I just, you know, I have a girlfriend that wouldn't invite us for dinner for over two years and she said, I'm terrified, I cannot cook for you. And I said, I'll make a salad and I'll eat that. She's like, no, 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 no. Um, and as it was, you know, we had a lovely dinner and she made a vegan dinner and then she made a brownie and she said, I'm so sorry, but... You know, I use one of my chooks, you know, chook eggs, and I ate it and just went, and I, driving home, I went, well, I don't know why I did that. So a lot of it is making, I think to start out with, you feel a little bit like you have to make it okay for other people. That's really tricky. And people don't understand and they do feel judged. And don't get me wrong, there are a lot of militant vegans out there that do judge. I'm not one of them um, because I think everyone has to come to something in their own time. What, you know, if I ruled the world, no one would be eating vegan, but that hasn't happened yet, I'm still waiting. You mean everyone would be eating vegan? Um, eat, eating vegans, <laughs> that's what all the carnivores want. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, we would all be plant, we'd all be plant-based, but that's not the reality that we live in. Um, but it is really hard because People that you know and love all of a sudden feel that you're judging them and you're not, maybe you are, I don't know. Um, somehow, all of a sudden what you put in your body food-wise is a bone of contention, which is really weird. Mm. Which is really, it's a really odd thing to have to justify your lifestyle all the time. And we're just talking food, it's crazy. Mm. That's really challenging. Do you think it's because, well, there's probably no like hard and fast rule why, but I often think with these sort of things, it's because people get a reflection of their own choices and they don't like that reflection. So they're trying to justify why they do what, why they're making their choices. Yeah. Yeah, I do. To be honest, I think when you come across a vegan, I think non-vegans feel that all of a sudden a mirror has been held up to their own behaviour and vegans can't be the only ones seeing the footage of slaughterhouses and the live export trade and what we do to male chickens, baby chicks. Like we can't be, the, it's all over the internet, we can't be the only ones seeing that. Um, the fact that some of us go, I can't, I can't do that. That's our choice. Um, but I do think that there are those that are not necessarily, well, they're not, they're not ready to make that choice. Maybe it doesn't affect them, but I think there is an element of feeling bad because we now know what animals go through to get onto our plate. 
so I guess like just going back to what you were saying about uh, you know having an iron deficiency when you first started and mm -hmm. a lot of people I mean myself included um, consider like I mean where do you get your proteins from where do you get how do you like how yeah. have, how have you overcome these initial kind of challenges look I, I mean I take supplements so I've got my my vitamin B and my iron. I don't take them, I maybe take them once a week now, whereas in the early days I was taking them every day. Um, your legumes, your greens, um, buckwheat, you know, if I could sponsor buckwheat or grow buckwheat myself, I would. Um, they're all, it's just thinking outside the box. There are other sources, because the reality is the cow that you consume to get your iron lives on grass and hay. So we're eating the flesh of animals that consume plants. So it makes sense that if you go to the source, that somewhere in within that source, there is iron. Silverback gorillas are, they're vegan and they're big motherfuckers. So they're getting their protein. They are, they are getting their protein and their carbs and their iron and their vitamin B. They're getting it from somewhere. So, mm. yeah, it exists. Yeah. So, was the th was the thought thinking behind starting uh, my goodness kitchen? Was it was it purely something that you wanted to do to kind of satiate your creativity, or Absolutely. were you thinking? Okay. Yeah. I never for a second thought that I would. I mean, I've always loved cookbooks. I never thought that I would have the opportunity to do one. It always seemed like a terrible, unless you know you self-publish or something, I thought it would, it just, I thought it was something that happened to other people. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same with being an actor. Yeah. I thought that was like, I went to acting school, but I thought actually being an actor was something that happened to other people. In that instance, I was actually correct. But, um, <laughs> in terms of... Well, you um, made yourself correct. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of, you know, gracefully or not so gracefully, just stepped away. Um, no, I never thought that the blog would still be going in three years. It was something I was doing my head in. I was bouncing off the walls in here. Um, I mean, I love hanging out with my kids. She's awesome. Um, but, you know, for the first 12 months of her life, she was a blob. Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, she, you know, not much of a conversationalist yeah. and just lots of poo and snot and, you know, and they sleep. So... I just was, to be honest, I was filling time. And then I, when I started to get feedback from readers and um, my friends were becoming more curious about my diet and um, I went, you know what? This could be a platform to gently educate people on the vegan life. Because mm. I think a lot of people are interested, but it just seems such a monumental undertaking and I went through all of the stuff I couldn't give up chocolate I couldn't give up cheese I couldn't give up eggs and I did and I did it one by one I think after I'd had a really crap attempt at going vegan the first time um, later after Ellie was born it was just more of a case of following my own path and chocolate was the first to go and then cheese went or well, meat obviously because I'd been vegetarian for a long time um, and then finally, you know, when I learnt more about eggs, well, eggs just went. So it kind of was a process. 
Um, yeah, tonally though, I think you're, there's nothing self-righteous about what you put out. No, there's nothing kind of not. soapboxy or like, it is just, I mean, it's even, it's, it's quite uh, tongue in cheek in some regard as well. Yeah, because it's fucking hard. Mm. <laughs> it can be really hard. I don't dislike meat. I, you know what? I wish I was one of the vegans that look at meat and want to hurl. I smell bacon and go, oh my God, that smells amazing. And hoisin chicken and it's really yum. I just wouldn't kill anything besides a carrot um, to eat it. And I just can't. Do you so, have to kill a carrot? Well, you kind of pull it out of its home and that, but you know what, whatever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? I couldn't do it. I don't want to pay someone else to do it. I just... I just, I, yeah, I, I cannot be a part of that process or that cycle. Um, and I'm not, I'm not self-righteous about it because I find it quite a struggle. I wasn't vegan for 30 plus years of my life. So I ate meat. I can't stand there and go, well, I've never done it because I have. So being judgy, I don't think got anyone anywhere. And I think there's a lot of vegans that are terribly unpopular because they're just dicks and they judge and um, they take a high moral ground, which just because you're vegan doesn't necessarily make you a better or a more good person. Mm. It just means that you are able to live a life without consuming or using animals. You can still be a dick. A lot of vegans are dicks. I have met a few of them. Um, you know, why don't I raise my daughter vegan? Because she's, she's got to come to it herself and she's my kid, so fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> um, she will come to it. If I try and force my daughter to be vegan, I guarantee I will drive past McDonald's at Tacoma and she will be in there shoving a Big Mac into her face because I forced her into it. Mm. Smoking those quarter pounders behind the <laughs> locker room. <laughs> it's a gateway drug. Mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's no point. I mean, when I cook, she eats vegan. When she's with her dad, she's not necessarily always vegan. I'm really honest about why I'm vegan. So she has no illusions as to where her stuff comes from. But she has the um, understanding of it of a four or five year old. I told her, she asked me why I was vegan. And I said, because I don't like eating dead things or being the cause of anything dying so that I can eat. And she said, oh, that's such a shame because I love eating dead things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where she sits. Right. What were some of the uh, some of the challenges I guess you faced in starting the blog? Like just in like practical terms, forgetting the actual being a vegan part of it. I am a techno doofus. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally a techno doofus. So things that take the average person an hour to learn might take me a full day. I just don't have my brain doesn't work that way. I just you know, I taught myself <laughs> photography on YouTube. So I would just have my camera sitting there and then I'd watch the video and then I'd hit pause and work it out. So it's been a really slow process and that's incredibly frustrating. Um, 
The second thing is that there are some really big bloggers in Australia, but it's actually really hard to get traction for a blog when you're not in the States. It is a business in the States. There are conferences, there are sponsorship, you know, there's, oh, it's a business over there. And that's really tricky because most of my audience is in the States, but I'm here in Australia. So that's tough where a lot of the products that perhaps, um, that are seeking people to endorse it. Well, if it's not available in Australia, and I have, I don't tend to endorse stuff too often, unless I, well, absolutely, unless I use it. But if it's not available here in Australia, um, mm, what's the point? I can't endorse it. Yeah. You know, that's really challenging. So financially, man, blogging is really expensive, super expensive. Um, how did you manage to? Or how did you find that you were able to get traction? Because it's obviously it's grown to, to quite a large uh, extent over the course of time. Has it been something that's happened just organically or how did you start to see that grow? It was organic. Um, so like I said, for the first year, I didn't actually focus on the blogging side of it. I just wanted to be a better photographer. I wanted to be able to create a cookbook that was online. Um, and then I kind of a little bit dip my toe into the business of blogging. Oy. <laughs> and then, oh my gosh. And I still just go, nah, too hard basket, man. <laughs> yeah. um, SEO and copyright and all of that sort of stuff. Um, oh, geez. And I'm still crap at it. Um, I think what happened was, so I kind of liken the blog to an independent film, <laughs> it actually got some critical acclaim in that some much larger bloggers started to pick up, and reputable bloggers, started to pick up some of my recipes. And I had um, like Rachel Zoe um, out of the States picked up one of my recipes and posted it on her blog and she's um, on her website and that was huge. And then a magazine in the UK picked up a couple and published it in there. Um, but it was like I had this critical acclaim. It was like the awesome film that no one saw yeah, right. for a yeah. really long time. <laughs> it was like there were these really cool people going, it's an excellent, excellent blog, excellent film. Uh, but none of the public went and saw it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. Until <laughs> so it was on Netflix. Yeah, totally. And, you know, really late at night. Mm. Um, and then eventually that just you get a few large bloggers sending people to your blog and it starts to. My blog is not huge by any, oh my gosh. I mean, some of the bloggers in America, it is mind boggling the numbers that they get to their blogs. It's just ridiculous. They're earning six figure salaries every year. They've got, um, you know, they've branched out and created side business. It's just phenomenal. Mm. Um, has that ever been a goal of yours? No. No, it hasn't. Um, look, I'd like to make a nice living with food. Um, does it necessarily need to be the blog? No, not necessarily. But I do think it's a really blogging and those websites are a fantastic resource for people. Um, I get very frustrated with a lot of, they're not vegan food people, but the, mm, the Pete Evanses of the world and the Michelle Bridges 
of the world that tell us to be healthy, but it's very expensive and a lot of people can't afford that. So I think blogs have got a really great opportunity to help people eat better, cook better, um, and it doesn't cost the average person anything. You know, you can, I can help you become vegan via my blog and I can share the journey with you and it's not going to cost you $328 for a six-week course. I mean, that stuff just shits me to tears. Um, so I, I, you know, I think I will always keep up the blog, but um, no, I would love to help anyone that wants to explore a plant-based diet, I would love to help them do that and let them know that it's okay that they fuck up because they will. Mm. I did. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> at the back of McDonald's, bawling my eyes out into a junior burger. Um, I'm such a bad person, but this is so good. Um, it's probably not real meat anyway. So. No, it's probably plant-based. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God, wouldn't that be the best irony in the world? Um, the bread, on the other hand, that's probably got meat in it. Yeah, and it's got just a shit ton of sugar. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, if I can help people. I mean, it must have been pretty gratifying when, I mean, even now, but particularly when you started, when you would have people contacting you to engage in a conversation with you about what, it, like what, what you're passionate about. Yeah, and I love that people felt that they could um, tell me their challenges around it and their failures and for us to have that sort of, for them to have that trust in me. And I think that is in part because I don't put a lot of advertising on the blog and I don't endorse products. Um, like it's just me kind of hanging out in my little cyberspace and, um, and I love that. And I love, I get, I get grandmothers emailing me and saying, oh, my grandson's gone vegan and he's coming over for dinner. Can you recommend something? And then, you know, they'll write back and tell me how it went. And mm. I love that. I love that. I just think it's the best thing ever, you know? Um, and then I can help them. Yeah, I, um, I really love that. So I guess with growth, you know, there's always going to be new challenges. Mm. I mean, for me, I always find that like keeping up the content is, yes. um, can be a daunting prospect. And I am only releasing so like something once a week. Yeah. Um, and I am on a break <laughs> for that reason. Um, I did the cookbook last year and the turnaround was incredibly fast, which well, is unusual. What was the process of putting that together like? Um, the really cool thing about the cookbook was that I didn't have to go to the publisher. They came to me out of the state, which was phenomenal. Um, the one, I guess the thing that is a little bit different about my blog is that, well, I have the tagline, it's vegan food tested on carnivores. So it's a very clear, um, messaging. Yeah, I guess in, yeah, that the food that I cook has to be acceptable to carnivores so as a cookbook that worked so I was super lucky that they um they approached me so there was a process of they had to test recipes from the blog and if I wanted to do my own photography I had to send them a portfolio and all that kind of stuff so that process took a little while but the actual turning around of the book was incredibly quick um and I did the photography for it as well um 
so I did find by the time the book was released at the end of the year, so it's only just come out in December, um, I was pretty stuffed and probably creatively drained. Um, so I have taken sort of the Christmas period and what have you to recharge and rethink. But in that, that's been awesome because I will take the blog in a new direction that I've kind of worked out over the weeks that I've had off, which is fantastic. So I'm never not creating, I'm just not, at the moment, I'm just not physically creating. Yeah. Well, when the, um, and I guess having a cookbook as well is like, it just legitimizes things further. Yeah. Especially I'm imagining if it's like a, you know, a reasonable publisher, like international publisher as well. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, they, I, my publisher is, I guess, smallish. They're an independent publisher, but the book is being distributed through Macmillan. So, um, yeah, mm. it's everywhere, which is great. When did they first approach you? What was, that, um, well, how, tell me the whole kind of process. It was very weird because my blog, um, particularly sort of 16 months ago or 17 months ago, was small and I was even starting to go, you know, I'm really tired, I'm you know, pumping out all this content and I feel like no one's reading it and I want to keep going, but I was actually getting pretty disheartened and Ellie was, um, um, was three turning four and getting far more active. Um, so justifying the time spent working on a blog was becoming harder and harder. Um, and then I woke up one morning and there was an email in my inbox that said, you know, hi, my name's Sarah. I'm from Page Street Publishers out of Massachusetts. Um, love the concept of your blog. Would you consider doing a cookbook? If you already have a cookbook deal, congratulations and good luck with it. And I kind of just sat up and handed the computer to my husband and went, am I reading that right? And he's like, yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> you need to email him right back. Um, and that's kind of how it started. So yeah, like I said, there was a process. They need to make sure that your recipes actually work. It's all well and good to have a pretty blog, but if the recipes don't work. Um, so there was a testing process. I had to send them through a table of contents proposal, send them, put together a portfolio of all my images um, because I really wanted to make sure that I was the photographer for it, not someone else. Yeah, so that actually took about three months and then I turned the book around. <laughs> so. I, admittedly, I could have said, no, I'd like longer. They really wanted to get the book out for a winter release in the States, so they wanted to get it out for Christmas. Um, and it was my first book, and I didn't want to go, oh, no, I don't know that I can do that. I went, you know what, <laughs> I'm going to make that happen. My hair fell out during the process, <laughs> so in the shower it was coming out in clumps. Um, but I still got it done. It was turned around in about five months when normally a cookbook is around 18 months. It was the old actor's mentality of I was say so yes terrified. and figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. And I was terrified that if I rocked the boat at all, that they might take it away. You know, um, knowing them now as I do, I know that's not the case. But at the time, I didn't know them. I didn't, they were, you know, they're, in, they're on the other side of the world. I had no idea who these people were. Um, Yes, yeah, so next time, I mean, lesson learned, next time I will, if there is a next time, um, I will take a lot longer and, yeah, 
part of where my hair won't fall out again. Did you feel like, aside from your hair, did you feel like you compromised on anything by doing it that quickly? Yeah, it's a tricky one because I do look at it now and go, oh, you know. Um, no, not necessarily. I think it is, it's a good cookbook and it has gotten good feedback and um, I'm very proud of the work. Do I think I would have done it differently if I'd had more time? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like even just the planning stage and the testing of the recipe stage would have had a little more organisation to it. I mean, I was, to get that book done, I was, there was a period where I was getting up at three in the morning and I was working until my daughter woke up at seven. I would then get her sorted for kindy. Kindy's at 9.15. Then I would come home, run the dogs, work again until she was picked up at 2.15. Spend time with her. She goes to bed at seven o'clock. So from seven o'clock onwards, um, until I went to bed, I was working again. So it kind of sucked balls. But, mm, it's um, intense. Yeah, but um, it had to be done. There was no other way because the one thing that I did struggle with during the process was an element of guilt because I felt like I was always in the book even when I was with my family. But it just, it had, unfortunately it had to be that way and it wasn't for a really long period of time and it's not like she she doesn't actually remember it being a particularly challenging time for her um, but knowing what I know now I would certainly say I want at least 12 months to do it you know I don't want to miss out on her stuff mm. it's important it's more important how, how have you I mean I suppose when you started my Goodness Kitchen. Why did you call it My Goodness Kitchen, by the way? <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> um, so the blog was originally called... The, um, the, it was The Goodness Exchange because I wanted it to be this exchange of ideas. I had this vision that, you know... Well, what it is now, which is, you know, people communicating with me, me communicating with them. Um, and then my friend... <laughs> my friend Carla... Um, Carla Bonner, who I know that you have had here, pointed out to me that when put together in a URL or in a name for Instagram or something like that, it reads, um, it looks like it reads the good sex change. And that, and once I saw that, <laughs> once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. Yeah. Um, so I just went, and I just started, you know, it had just started growing a little bit. So I wanted to keep the goodness kind of thing in it and just went, you know what, we'll just call it My Goodness Kitchen because that's what it is. Um, I mean, sometimes I think about changing it, but, you know. I think it's great. It tells you what you're well, getting. It is exactly what it is. And the byline is vegan food tested on carnivores. But yet once I saw the original URL, I could never not <laughs> see it again. <laughs> so thank you, Carla. So when you started it, I could imagine that you would look at something like getting a cookbook and that would be like a significant marker of success yeah. for the blog. Yeah. So how is that concept for you or how has that evolved conceptually, this idea of success and what that looks like for My Goodness Kitchen? I, um, 
I think even just, I don't know whether it has to do with the blog, but I think my understanding of success just growing older has shifted. I um, So if I had done My Goodness Kitchen in my 20s, I would have wanted to create an entity that was going to change the world and I was going to be the biggest blogger in the world and um, have my own television show and I was, you know, um, now older. Hmm. <laughs> Um, my concept, my understanding or what I'm striving for is balance. I want to be able to make some money for myself, create, help create a world that is better than the one that we exist in now. Um, I want to have the kind of life where I take pride in my work and I feel like I'm doing something worthwhile, but it's but it's not at um, the cost of spending time with my daughter. It's so, she's only little for a really, it feels like a nanosecond. So I really want to, I want to be the type of person that she thinks about when she's 15 or 16 and says, my mum was always there no matter what. That's what I want for her. So my measure of success is having something for myself, something for my family and something particularly for my kid. So it has, it's really changed. Mm. Would I still love a television show? Absolutely. I think the vegan message has to get out there and I think that's the next, I mean, the UK, um, I think the BBC have just started producing a, their first vegan cooking show. Um, I'd love to be a part of that movement. But at the same time, if I'm not, um, I'm not going to give up my world to make that happen now. Whereas in my 20s, I probably would have. Um, so I just think differently. I want a life of balance. My end game for My Goodness Kitchen is for us to actually have a sanctuary of sorts on a very, you know, a decent sized bit of land and we rescue some dairy cows and let them raise their babies and some horses that are due for the knackery. I want to, you know, I want to see if we can help the unhelpable, you know, the animals that no one wants. I would love that. And I think it's really important for my daughter as well to, um, to A, understand where the role that animals can play in our lives if we let them. Um, I think it teaches, it will teach her responsibility and compassion. And I don't think that is ever a bad thing. Um, and it's just, you know what, it's, um, it's my idea of heaven, <laughs> that's, yeah, that would be pretty awesome. Keep well, blogging, keep photographing, keep animals. <laughs> well, hopefully the next uh, podcast will be from your yes. new block of land. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for, uh, for doing this and having a chat. My um, pleasure, it was awesome. All my conversations end with the same question. I'm trying to figure out a way to reframe it. Because okay. I feel like the show has evolved beyond what makes you silly, but I haven't figured out how to reframe it. What makes me silly? Well, my kid. <laughs> um, chocolate. Chocolate really makes me silly. <laughs>
you know, chocolate is just, <laughs> let's do a podcast about chocolate. Let's talk about that. Um, I'm no. sure a lot of people listening to this would say, oh my gosh. you're sitting in their cars saying, yes, please. Chocolate or no, makes everyone silly and it just makes the world a better place. Um, vegan or no, because I can't have chocolate anymore. <laughs> but um, it's just awesome and it cures many ills. I think if many of our politicians were eating chocolate, the world would be a better place. All right, well, let's, we'll brainstorm a chocolate and probably <laughs> wine. Based podcast. Okay, yeah, no, that sounds good because yeah. they're both vegan. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Amanda. Thank you. Thanks, Al.